course they're dead. They're ghosts. No, I mean, they're gone. Split out of here. Afterlife kids. Deceased. Are you a ghost, too? I'm the ghost with the most, babe. You know, you look like somebody I can relate to. Maybe you could, maybe you could help me get out of here, you know, because, see, here's my problem. I got these friends on the outside that I said I'd meet, you know, and that's the kind of thing I have to be there in person, you know. So I was just wondering, could you help me get out of here? I want to get in. Why? Episode 149 of the Cult of Matt and Mark, Cult Film Review Podcast. I'm Matt. I'm Mark. And make sure to head over to the Facebook, the Cult of Matt and Mark, and like us, or head over to our blog at cultfilmreview.blogspot.com, or shoot us an email at cultfilmreview at gmail.com. And uh, don't uh, forget to head over to the Amazon and pick up my poorly selling novel, Nova Byzantium, <laughs> out now, courtesy of Mask Books. Any, anything helps people. That's, so, the, that's uh, the positive attitude right there. Yeah, anything helps. So, uh, <laughs> you know, if you got uh, two ninety nine laying around in your virtual account, and uh, yeah, do us a solid. We'll consider it like a show donation, even though I won't share a dime of it. With, Matt's uh, got Mark. mouths to feed, and not just his own cake hole. That's true. I know. Yeah, I have... Uh, Two dogs and, uh, oh, a child. That's right, yeah. I forgot. That's yeah, the most expensive one. Yeah, no shit. Uh, anyway, uh, so uh, show news, Mr. Hudson. You got any show news this week? Uh, you know, made it through another week. You got to give yourself a pat on the back sometimes. <laughs> you live through it. Uh-huh, made you it. Know. You made it. You're, you're that much closer to not having any weeks left. I'm not so. much closer to my own eventual mortality. I know, yeah. That day will come, my friend. I know it seems a little abstract now, but uh, it'll be here. So, like, uh, waiting for that trip to Disneyland as a kid. I remember, it's like, I couldn't wait. Uh, it was, like, so brutal, like, counting down the days. It's like, it's it's never going to get here. It just feels like it's never going to get here. And then, like, that day comes, and he's like, holy shit, it's here. So I never, I never went to Disneyland. Does that mean I'm an immortal? You're measles-free is what it really means at this point in time. So, uh <laughs> Count your count your lucky stars. I guess some 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 fucking anti vaxxer Cro-Mags took their measly kids there and ruined the whole joint. I, I I don't know who they were. I'm just gonna go ahead and uh, assume they were from Ashland, Oregon, and uh, Brooklyn, New York. That's all I got. But. Didn't expect to hear you talking about va- anti-vaxxers. I didn't see anything on Facebook this week. Or did you? That, yeah, that? I know. Sometimes my rants just fly under the radar a little bit. But uh, There was an yeah. unusual post on Facebook this week. Uh, some sort of respectful memoriam for the for one of the, the king of Saudi Arabia, which I'm not sure why oh. anybody would f- have feelings for that terrible country if there's any country in the middle east that we should have bombed into the stone age that we should have gone in there and killed all the women and children like we did in a couple of other countries i think saudi arabia would have been the best choice i think we would have got the most positive outcome from doing that um well you seem to forget my 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 wife was uh 
employed by the royal family of Saudi Arabia <laughs> and worked over there. <laughs> oh, I, I, and actually, actually met Crown Prince or King Abdullah at one point because mm. uh, she was taking care of uh, his brother, who was the uh, governor of Mecca at the time. Mm-hmm. And uh, he came through and thanked the nursing staff personally. So. You seem like a kindly old dude. I mean, mm-hmm. what are you gonna do, man? You're born a patriot. You're born an autocrat. Shit's good. I mean, he's like, fuck it. I'm gonna pull up the stakes on this shit. I, uh, uh, I'm gonna give it back to the people, you know, or Osama bin Laden or whoever the fuck. I, I can't blame him. Uh, you know, I mean, yeah, that, that it's not a. What did Winston Churchill say about uh, dem- democracy? Is probably the worst form of government, but uh, uh, I haven't seen anything better. I, something like that. What does that have to do with uh, the royal family of Saudi Arabia? I don't know. People do- people dog on autocracies, and uh, I think know, I think people uh, rightly dog on Saudi Arabia. Well, believe me, man, I'm not for the whole beheading fuckers in the street business. They've I mean, had a terrible. Their, their fundamentalist view of uh, Islam is really shaken and spoiled the very core of, of that the, whole religion. You know, everybody dogs on ISIS because ISIS is. Uh, you know, uh, and, and rightly so. They're a bunch of, of, of Stone Age Cretans. Uh, however, uh, if you just kind of shined them up and gave them beamers to drive and, you know, threw some money their way and, and told them just to kind of mellow the shit out a little bit, they'll be, uh, they'll be like Saudi Arabia a little bit. I mean, that's basically what Saudi yeah. Arabia is. Sh- you know? fucking, the world would be better without the House of Saud. That's all I got to say about Lopping that. Lopping off fuckers' hands in the street and, you know, and, and like, Fucking public squares knocking dudes' heads off. Lashing some blogger a thousand times. I think that was in the news recently. Fucking thousand times. Man. Unforgivable. <sighs> anyway, all right. Uh, enough on that. Uh, I, I, changing subjects drastically. I, I saw a, a, an okay, decent movie uh, last night. I would call it a date film called Laggies, starring uh, Keira Knightley and Sam Rockwell. Not bad. It was okay. But it was filmed like a few blocks down from where we live. So really? uh, if you want to see Matt's neighborhood, uh go ahead and check out that film. It only grossed like four hundred and forty thousand dollars. Was there it a totally was it a, a young director? Uh yeah, was, they call it Mumblecore, which is this sort of genre of film of uh uh I don't know. I'm not gonna just like super indie uh topics or or maybe a little edgy, but they're not um you know, not, not violent, not any violence or sex or anything like that. Sort of a, I guess a little Richard Linkletter like back in his early days. I, I don't know. I, I like the style. You can look it up. But uh, there's one director. She's from the Seattle area, and she did uh, like my my sister's sister or something like that, which wasn't bad. Mm, and, I think I've heard of uh, that. And uh, anyway, she did this one called Laggies, which name eludes me. I don't even know what the name meant. Uh, but, uh, anyway, it was filmed up in a neighborhood called Olympic Manor, which is like a stone throw from where I live and same, same actual, uh, development. Uh, the builder was the same or something. So hmm. anyway, but yeah, I was like, Oh, like you could, I could actually make out like as they were driving along, you know, they have the close up on their faces and you can see like the, the fuzzy sort of, uh, you know, scenery going on outside the car window. And I was actually like able to recognize that fuzzy scenery. Something you know, that was filmed in my neighborhood. It's like, a weird feeling. It must be what be like living in the L.A. area. I bet. Uh, maybe except for L.A. is so fucking big, you know. But uh, but there's so many fucking movies. Yeah, I of like. Of course, Sam maybe Rockwell. it'd be better. Better example would be how it's like to live in uh, Vancouver. Yeah, well, Vancouver is everywhere. 
That's mm-hmm. the problem with Vancouver. Mm-hmm. Nobody actually films a movie and calls it Vancouver, which I find kind of a disservice to Vancouver. It's like, your city is so picturesque, yet so fucking boring. We're just going to substitute every other city for your city, or your city's going to sub for every other city. It's kind of a, I don't know, short shrift. It's an interesting town, at least enough that you could set a film there and call mm-hmm. it Vancouver. Mm-hmm. I don't know why they don't. But uh, uh, anyway, Sam Rockwell was good in it, and uh, Keira Knightley. I, I just, you know, I'm I'm not for plastic surgery or anything, but I don't, her A minus cups. It's just like you, you know. I, I maybe it's a point of pride. I don't know, but I'm just like, it's like it's just too like boyish looking. You don't like the itty bitty titties. That's fair enough. And, well, I mean, there's not even. I mean, are they even? They're, they're what we would call mosquito bites. You know, but uh, I mean, she's hot and everything. She's just like a little too skinny. Her jaw, you could like cut a cut ice with, and uh, but just the yeah, I don't know, just a little bit more up front. I know that's sort of sexist, but it's, it's uh, well, just God, all I could you think know, someday of. maybe they'll be able to do something about that surgically. You know, pie in the sky. I know. I know. It's fucking medicine's coming a long ways. I mean, my cat. I hear they, I hear, I hear they can a huge benefit to me with the ladies. <laughs> What's that? My calf implants. Oh yeah, calf implants. Mm-hmm. I, I'm getting pec implants uh, pretty soon. <laughs> I think really, really. I really show them off. I pretend to. Ru- I pretend I'm mounting a, a a a street bike outside of work all the time. Oh, I just sit there, sort of flexing my fake calves. Nice yeah. dude. I got those. Gotta be like just clipping my boots in and on and off the clips on the bike. In front of like a, a like a bus stop with yeah. the ladies staring at you. <laughs> Uh, so what are you drinking tonight, Mr. Hudson? Oh, I was drinking coffee, but I'm all out. I need to get another oh. cup of that shit. Drinking, uh, some Bitburger. Mm. Uh, so, uh, going to the beer tonight. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's nothing Don't have wrong. it in me. Beat to unbeat, huh? Don't have it in, in me for the whiskey. So. Tonight? Well, you yeah. know, it's a work, it's a work night. What are you going to do? It's a work night. Yeah, here we are working. All right, <laughs> let's get into the movie this week. Uh, this week, our movie is the 1988 Tim Burton classic, Beetlejuice, uh, long or short plot, plot rundown, Mr. Hudson? Mm. Well, I mean, uh, let's go short. Let's go short. All right. Adam and Barbara are a normal couple who happen to be dead. They have given their precious time to decorate the house and make it their own. But unfortunately, a family is moving in, and not quietly. Adam and Barbara, Barbara try to scare them out, but end up becoming the main attraction to the money-making family. They call upon Beetlejuice to help, but Beetlejuice has more in mind than just helping. So there you go. What, is Be- what does Beetlejuice have in mind exactly? I don't know. He's, he's uh, trying to get it on with uh, Nona. Right? Yeah, I mean, he should have stuck with Kara Knightley if that's what he liked. <sighs> yeah, no kidding. Well, she was, uh, so Winona Ryder was what, 17 in the film? That was like her I have age. No, I, did, I have no idea. She, oh, she was 17? She seems a lot younger she was in the film. 17. Huh. I'm skipping through the trivia really quickly. Hmm. Which would put her, if she's 17. Well, she played younger, she but born? she's sort of skinny, so she could do that, I guess. When was, she, when was Winona Ryder born? Was she, is she my age? Is she our age, by chance? I think so. I guess I guess I, I always it. pegged her as 15 in this film, but... Um, Oh, she's two years older than uh, me and three years older than you. 1971, so a little oh. older. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what age but, would that uh, put her for this film then? Uh, came out in 88, probably 
I don't know, close six, to 17. Six, 16 or 17, yeah. Right. Yeah. Oh, that's right. interesting. Wait. She did seem younger. Playing uh, age, she's age appropriate. She's just very, uh, what's the right word? Uh, she has that kind of precociousness about her. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, so I guess Beetlejuice was um, He's cool. to dig on that. Yeah, what yeah. state were they in? Connecticut? Uh, <coughs> Connecticut. I'm not sure yeah. about the law in that state. Uh, yeah, you know, know Beetlejuice sort of gets screwed over. I mean, it seems like Beetlejuice makes a pretty good deal at the end. Yet, the, yet, the, yeah, everybody reneges on it. I never really noticed that aspect of the film before, but I was sort of at the end. I was like going, you know, they they sort of fucked Beetlejuice over for no real good reason. Well, he's just, uh, you know, he's uh, 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 he's sort of an agent. Right, an agent for hire, a gun for hire. Yeah, I mean, and Winona's character—I mean, Lydia hires him to save the the Matlins, and yeah. uh, and then she reneges on her side of the deal at the end. Yeah, you know, that, doesn't that strike you sort of weird? I I never really noticed that. I didn't think I. I don't even think I. I didn't. I didn't notice it. You no. noticed it for I me. I mean, the deal was she releases him. And uh, he'll save he'll save the Adam and Barbara if she he, she marries him, right? That oh, the deal. that's the deal. Yeah, break a deal, she, face uh, the wheel, man. It. That's all I gotta say. She bails on it. <clears throat> yeah, that. Yeah, well, I mean, could you blame her? Who, who wants? I mean, to, I can't blame her, but can you blame Beetlejuice? Uh yeah, I think I think Beetlejuice. Uh, he, he knows what he's up to. I mean, he's a so, bastard, uh, obviously, and he's really played as a real bastard in this film. I guess I was sort of perverted by the uh, the um, cartoon <laughs> that came after this, where Beetlejuice was, was, a, was a much nicer guy. That's strange. I forgot. I forgot and, that there was a. Uh, cartoon. It was a long running cartoon. I watched it quite a bit, and um, and uh, you know, but in this movie, he's he's actually not even in it that much. No, he's uh, Michael Keaton's in it for a total of seventeen minutes, <laughs> and uh, he filmed it in like I th- think all his parts in like a couple of days or some shit. Uh, however, it's one of his favorite acting bits he ever did. Oh, he really uh, chewed it up, man! Holy! Oh Jesus. yeah, and you can sort well, of see. You know, the weird thing about as much as I like um, <clears throat> Michael Keaton, he's got sort of these idiosyncratic idiosyncratic behaviors that sort of peek through his acting, I think. Uh, name a few. He's got sort of a shtick. I mean, just sort of his mannerisms. I just, when I saw him playing uh, Beetlejuice here, I sort of saw his performance as Batman a little bit. Of course, that's the same um, director. And yeah. I saw a little bit of his performance as, um, as Birdman in his most recent work Birdman. that he's got an uh, Oscar nomination for. It's weird. Michael Keaton, prior to Birdman... I don't know. It seemed like he was in decade-long lull. I, I don't remember. Yeah, seeing he's sort anything. of in the lull big enough where he's got to have Tarantino pull him out of it. Uh, was he in a Tarantino film? No, but Tarantino sort of known for plucking actors that oh, have yeah, fallen yeah, yeah. into late right. career obscurity. Right. Yeah, which uh, is 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 admirable because there's a lot of uh, you know like a, uh, John Carradine, rest in peace. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, he was great in Kill Bill. Uh, you know. Uh, Never pegged him for an autoerotic, asphyxiating kind of guy, but uh, it's yeah. sort of sad. Yeah, it's sort too of bad. sad. Yeah, he was yeah. good though in that, and he hadn't been anything for ever. So, uh, well, I yeah. think that toward, toward, 
Tarantino sort of plays Moneyball with actors. You know, he gets these ones. Right. Other people sort Moneyball of written off for, you know, he gets people with great chops that for some reason have just fallen into dislike for maybe, who knows, it might be legitimate reasons, but it doesn't mean you can't, with some effort, work with them. And yeah. I mean, if them. they're like an older actor that have a certain je ne sais quoi, it's like you don't have to go back to fucking De Niro again. You can go find another, you know, actor that's still willing to work. Yeah. Oh, fuck. It's weird how those old male actors, sometimes they just, they stick with the same one so often. De Niro's a oh, good like example. fucking De Niro. Put that motherfucker out to pasture, for Christ's sake. <laughs> when is the last good performance from De Niro? Ronan? Uh, Ronan was a good film. I, I've actually been meaning. I've been playing with the idea of doing it on yeah, this we, podcast. We certainly do uh, that. It's a good one. It's definitely, uh, in my opinion, it's my own cult movie. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, but yeah, he's always kind of the venerable. Like we need an old, older guy. Oh, oh, we'll just oh get... did you see Stardust? Stardust. No, yeah. it was like a fantasy sci-fi movie that he was in, oh, like two thousand eight. With Claire Danes. Not uh, Jack Nicholson. I mean, resurrect Jack Nicholson for something like that. No, Jack... You know, I heard Jack Nicholson, um, he's got Alzheimer's starting to poke up. And oh, he's really? sort of become a bit of a recluse because of it. Okay. All um, right. Well, sort, of, sort of sad. That is sad. Yeah, uh, it happens. But yeah, no, it's nice to see that there's still a stable of, uh, I guess what you would call, uh, maybe forgotten actors that are still out there willing to work. And mm-hmm. so that's kind of cool that Michael Keaton had a Well, he's good in Birdman. I'd recommend role. it. But. Yeah. All right. Well, I, I will uh, check it out here. On demand, of course, because we never go out and see films. Oh, you can take your kids to it. Kids would love Birdman. Oh, yeah. Just like, be quiet. Yeah. Take there's an only, there's only one rape to, scene in it. So <laughs> Take an 18-month-old to a fucking Birdman. <laughs> that would just be like almost a jackass experiment, I think. <laughs> So let's see what happened when I take my eighteen year old, eighteen month old daughter to a to a to a, like a, a oh, film with an adult a audience. Already uh, movie about uh, Broadway. Yeah, yeah, she'd be standing up on the seats, looking back at the crowd, just screaming. That's more or less how that would go. Be fun though, for a while. So, um, I mean, about I mean, thinking thinking about Beetlejuice some more. I mean, in a way. He's, He's not really as important of a character as you might consider, considering he's the title character, which is a little weird. Well, where did the where did the idea come from? See, I was I was watching this, and you know, I know Tim Burton's a sort of a fecund uh, director, and uh, I was thinking to myself that I may have ripped off the idea of Beetlejuice when I wrote my first novel, which I never bothered putting out to any agent or publisher. Uh, but had had dabbled with this idea of a bureaucratic afterlife, uh, sort of a um, uh, a purgatory that isn't uh, Dante esque, if you will, but is uh, just sort of mired in um, <clears throat> you know uh, kind of like souls waiting to get pushed through the decision making process and having case workers. Uh, that are assigned to them uh, to sort of, uh, you know, uh, lobby on their behalf and and whatnot. And so I'd actually written like a whole novel that kind of had a little bit of that going on. It's sort of a Kafka-esque afterlife, you mean? Yeah, mine had a lot more sort of, uh, what would you call, fantasy elements and sort of more serious maybe. But uh, it still had a little bit of this idea in it. And so now I'm looking at it. And it was a good thing I didn't watch Beetlejuice when I was writing it because I'd 
I've thought myself a total ripoff. Well, as long artist. as you didn't make all the people that work for that uh, the infrastructure in the afterlife be people who had committed suicide, I think you'd be safe. Well, was that the idea? Was that what was going on? Yeah, yeah. All the people that were working at desks, uh, the caseworker, um, Juno had. Well, she cut slit her, her own throat. Yeah. yeah. And the lady I works that. in the front desk had had her accent where she slit her wrists. And I think uh, one of the guys had like maybe jumped in front of a, a train or something. Oh, and the they, smash actually, they actually dude? say it explicitly later in the film. Fuck, how did I miss that? God damn it. I know it's watching in uh in your iPad in your bed <laughs> in three parts. We'll do that to oh, you. Oh man. That sucks. <laughs> okay. Well that's a cool idea. That's uh as opposed to the, the Dante esque version, which was kinda cool if anybody read the Inferno. I did uh, the suicides, um what is the deal? They're um they're like <clears throat> incarnated as trees and their dead bodies are hung from the trees that they inhabit or something like that. So they're forced why, to look at their corpse. Why do people give people who commit suicide such a hard time? What is the deal with society and suicide? It always um, strikes me as really weird. Like, oh, you can hurt people, but God, if you commit suicide, well, you're a, you know, you're a fucking asshole. It's like, Jesus, let, let people, if they, people want to fucking give up, let them give up. It's just so fucking stupid, man. Well, I the think various I, aspects of society that drive me crazy. No, well, I think I think there's maybe a little bit more uh, id there than religion. I think it's uh, <clears throat> the idea that as as creatures of the earth, as uh, you know, uh, species of the animal kingdom, uh, we're driven by evolutionary instinct to stay alive at all costs. That's sort of in our brain, and so when we encounter something to the contrary. We sort of have a uh, maybe a sort of a, a visceral opposition to the concept in general, and so we just kind of get a little bit uh, revolted by the notion, and then want to um, criticize it. I don't know. Yeah. I'm just I mean, I, I can throw it out I there. Can, I mean, I can understand the psychology, but I still hate it. Well, I you know I don't know. I I, I think it's uh, you know people throw it into sort of the selfish category and. Yeah. You know, especially if people have family and, you know, especially if they have dependent family, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. They should kill all their dependent family with them. I mean, it just makes sense. That happens. That does yeah. happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, uh, sadly, uh, don't want to get into any uh, news stories, but, yeah, it happens. So, anyway, interesting notion, though, That's you're just stuck at a shitty bureaucratic job. Mm-hmm. That doesn't seem like if you're going to be productive, maybe that's the whole point. I did, I did like. It. I thought, I thought, I thought the representation of that was probably the most creative aspect of the film. So, oh, let's see, what else <clears throat> did this movie dog on? Dogged on artsy uh, urban types. Yeah, that's fun though. Yeah. You, just, uh, the, you can just pillory those fuckers to the end of time, and <laughs> nobody gives a shit. Yeah, you know, nobody's going to stand up to defend so <clears throat> a condominium a developer. And yeah, what was it? Fancies her as a, herself an artist. Was that? Uh, yeah, was it? I, they, they, what was it? Like you can only that hope was, that mm-hmm. the building you're in will go condo or something like that. Well, that's comment. what that's where Charles got all his money from uh, uh, buying out apartments, tournament, uh, property development, property, you know, all all aspects of property development. Yeah, that's you know he yeah. was he was friends with. Um, what, the, what was that famous guy who played like his boss? Um, what was that guy? Oh, uh, Dick Cavett. Well, Dick Cavett played uh, an art dealer that worked for uh, Lydia. 
that was Lydia's art dealer, but mm. more of like a friend of the rich. That's right. You're talking about the um, the the mildly gay character. Fuck, who are you talking about? Um, at the end, the guy with the dark hair, uh, who's his business partner. That's uh, Charles's business partner. That comes to the house at the very for the very last uh, ghost. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, right. Remember that guy. He's there at the uh, shrimp uh, dinner party. Yes, that's correct. No, yeah, no, okay. no, 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 no. Dick Cavett's at that party. It's the party at the end where they do the uh, exorcism. Oh, okay. All right. Uh, yeah. Robert no, I remember. Goulet. I can picture his face. Just Robert Goulet is the name of the actor. Robert Goulet. Okay. Right. So, uh, but yeah, the, so the dad is like a real estate developer, um, a fucking famous actress uh, who played the wife. O'Hara. Yeah. All right. Okay. So we can go ahead and talk about, you know, how the thing was structured. Let's, what, um, what, how about that car accident at the beginning? That's not a pretty oh, mild Volvo car accident. teetering doesn't, doesn't over the, uh, doesn't it seem like that accident's survivable? Oh yeah, totally. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, it's a somewhat still river. Uh, you're in a Volvo, it's the safest car in the world. And uh, you just kind of endo, and then it just, you know, I think they had the windows open, right? Yeah, I mean, I guess maybe the aspect of that was that you wanted some doubt to be in the viewer's mind when they arrived at their house. Yeah, that's that's a good point. I think you're right. If you made it too violent, then you wouldn't have that moment. But they they don't really hold that moment of suspense for very long. In fact, they hold it for almost no time. I think it would have made more sense if we left it the mystery a little, have a little bit of a, I don't know, like a three or four minutes where there's a mystery about what really happened to them, where this sort of it dawns on them that they're dead. It so, just dawns on them very quickly. So, you know, I, I, I lamented the fact that I may have ripped off part of Beetlejuice, but do you think M. Night Shalimon? <laughs> Shalimon? Camping out on this uh, movie a little bit when he came up with the Sixth Sense. Uh, I don't, what if I, I had a whole movie? Really? I mean, I think I think what you if? would think that maybe the others would have might have been a better. Uh, oh, the others is a good them. movie. Is, is, yeah. am well, I the, the Sixth Sense is a good was, movie too. Yeah, those the are, others those, might be better. The others the might be a better sense? movie. Um, yeah. I think I think the I think you know of the of the, the not six, knowing your the den Sixth Sense has a better reveal for first view certainly. The others, I think, might be more enjoyable on multiple viewings. I've seen it a couple of times. It's fucking we should, terrifying. We should, I mean, we should watch both of those and, com- and compare them. The others has some scary shit in it. It's a good uh, movie. You know. Oh, man. I forgot about that film. Yeah. That was a totally... That, I, I think it came out after The Sixth Sense, so it may have uh, you know, not necessarily gotten the uh, street cred of the uh, not knowing you're dead uh Film, I guess genre, subgenre, micro genre, if you will. <laughs> well, you're gonna have to make some fan fiction in that, in that genre. Put a vampire in there, and start yeah, but see, it. that's the problem. Then you'll auto- automatically know that the characters are dead. So there's if no. If they're light. vampires, oh, <clears throat> they're vampires. No. They're undead. See, that's different from being a ghost. So no, I'm, I'm what I'm saying is that like the sixth sense and the others carried you along to the very end, and it's like, oh, they're dead. Remember, they're dead. You know. I mean, like, the others oh. didn't quite do it as much. The others sort of gives it away. I think the audience is meant to know before the characters know. Well, they're living in a house, and there's these ghosts that they keep encountering. But the ghosts aren't ghosts. They're actually living people, and they're the ghost impinging. Up. It's like the like looking in, 
in in sort of a mirror type of a effect. It's right? pretty it's it's pretty nicely written, and I really enjoy when she runs into her husband. That's sort of the part where you really start to doubt what you're seeing in the movie, and you know that the idea that they're actually the ghosts may come to the viewer's mind at first. Yeah, that scene. I do. I just slightly. I, I just remember the 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 figure on the floor with the the gown draped over him. And it was like the old lady in the seance, but yeah, it was a little bit of a jump scare. I mean, it was fine. It was was a good good. jump scare. Mm -hmm. So, uh, anyway, yeah. Interesting idea. Uh, You don't get that here. You know, they're dead pretty quickly when they, yeah. So it seems like a little bit of a lost opportunity, but that's okay. I mean, it was meant to play for a little more on the comedy side, you know, it leads me to another thing that I think is sort of weird about this film. And I don't know, maybe you can enlighten me on this. I mean, they uh they sort of rag on um the 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 urban couple Charles uh, yeah. Charles and that's Delia. what we were talking about. I remember but uh, they sort of lionize these sort of you know the sort of hickish couple, the Adam and Barbara. I mean they they treat them with a lot of respect, but but also they sort of show that they're sort of dollars in a lot of ways. They're very slow on the uptake. Like they really, they, I can't tell you how many times they complained about that poorly written manual of the afterlife. Yeah, that, one, that was two of the urban characters, Oth, Otho and Lydia, both read it and made fine use of the knowledge contained within. I'm sure it was maybe a poorly written book, but why were Adam and Barbara having a, such a hard time, uh, you know, coming to some sort of understanding and synthesizing a game plan based off that book? That was a little weird. Uh, these, these, I didn't think it was anything was out of the order. This couple was beating their head against this book. And then Lydia just reads through it and spouts off factoids. And Otho is able to do a seance, even though he doesn't understand how it works. I, I, th- I think it's not anything out of the ordinary for, like, plot type of effect. I, I think that's, you know, they're just kind of, oh, they're bewildered, recently dead, not, you know, obviously yeah, all they're, there, they're really, literally they're really not and figuratively. meant to be very smart characters. I mean, there's one time where it's revealed that Adam, Adam has what he thinks is photographic proof of Bigfoot. Not exactly the sharpest tool in yeah, the shed. That's true. <laughs> that's true. Yeah. I, I, thought, I, well, I, I didn't, thought that was sort of weird. I didn't think of them as rubes. I didn't think they were painted mm. as... as uh, What's the right word? Uh, as, as um, bumpkins, bumpkins. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. They were just. I mean, Connecticut, man. I, I, don't, I don't know. Is there bumpkins in fucking Connecticut? Uh, Connecticut. I've, as I've uh, been told, I've never been there. Is basically half of it's a suburb of New York City, and the other half's a suburb of uh, Boston. With uh, and then there's a few towns in, in the middle, uh, ridden with uh, heroin junkies. Mm. That's kind of all I mm. know of, of mm. Connecticut. Uh, and there's some bad neighborhoods in those towns, but other than that, I don't really. I haven't been told that there's really anything worth seeing in Connecticut. So, not not the state that, of the United States that comes to mind first when you think of famous states. No, I, I mean they had like a hockey team, I think. So they got something going for them, but. Oh. Yeah, it's uh, it's just one of those New England states. I think that uh, lack its definitive charm to a certain extent, but I don't know. So yeah, I guess they just used it because it was uh, not New York, and they needed sort of New York people to retreat to this house, you know, with dead people in it. And I don't know. That's probably the only reason. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But they didn't seem like. 
people living in in small towns in Connecticut just seem like uh you know big city types like like the other characters that have moved to a small town to sort of escape something uh it's 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 not they're not remote enough i i in my opinion like well it's remote enough for somebody who lives in the city maybe i guess so yeah i don't know i mean it was alec baldwin and and gina davis so i i don't they usually typically don't play bumpkins. So maybe <laughs> I, just, that was part I just got of the that problem. vibe. I got that vibe from this film. Uh, yeah, well, they didn't play really smart people in here, but uh, uh, no. you know, uh, naive and sincere. I'd call them naive and sincere. Well, they seemed like they had a lovely relationship. Okay, so yes. the other thing that was sort of confused me about this movie is, um, and, they, and they talk about this a little bit, especially Juno. Juno explicitly states it later in the film is that there's something very important about not letting the living know about the afterlife. Uh, and um, I guess, first of all, I, I didn't, I didn't see why, I mean, they could have made some excuse. I guess I'm not sure exactly why that was in the film. I guess add the tension that uh, it drives uh, Adam and Barbara to take the big risk that ends up being a failure with uh, Deo dance number um but um it's, it seems like a, it seems like it'd be a weird policy to have i mean if this if the world existed as it's shown in in this film that uh why it'd be so important to not let your book that they just give you that somehow is a physical object it, not that just people just can read can mortals can read yeah so people are dying all the time I mean, maybe you have to reach certain criteria to to be stuck haunting a house for 125 years. And so maybe it's not that many people that are sort of in this predicament where they need the book and they need to hang out for 100 years. Um, just, it just it seems like a, it's a weird stipulation, sort of a stipulation you might see in a sci-fi movie with time travel, just to try to remove some of the complications from well, the matter. This this movie, and I would say definitely, and maybe the, what you're pointing out, not so definitely, it has these nice kind of set of rules that Tim Burton, did he write this movie? Anyway, it doesn't matter. Uh, that that set of rules that, that they originated uh, for the ghost universe in Beetlejuice. And one of them was, I liked, was the fact that they couldn't leave the house. Uh, you know, uh, they- Yeah, can, I, th- I thought they, that was really interesting, too. That's a nice- creative uh solution to sort of localize yeah because what, yeah. what they can do i mean if you're to try to rationalize ghosts and i don't believe in ghosts and uh mark do you believe in ghosts just bigfoots just bigfoot ghosts just bigfoots all right because bigfoot we killed them so, all because the indians killed them all off a long time the, right? the ghosts of past sasquatches marks mm-hmm. full on board with that's why they're so hard to ca- catch on film only <laughs> only certain types of uh Haunted film can actually capture them. You know, I played, uh, uh, what was it, uh, Red Dead Redemption, which is a great video game, terrific video game, mm-hmm. uh, amazing. And uh, I, I played some of these extended scenes. And there was this part where you, I think it was in the zombie uh, Expansion, pack. didn't they have an exo- expansion exam- pack? Yeah. yeah, and you end up and in, in you're like killing Sasquatches, like there's some... <laughs> And then you run across like the last Sasquatch and he's all sad because he killed his family and he's like crying and shit. Totally broke my heart. I was like, it felt like I was watching a Spielberg movie. I was so mad at Rockstar. I was like, you fuckers making me all upset that I killed like all his family and everything. It's like, Jesus Christ. Did you put him out of his misery? I think you end up shooting him. It's real sad. It's a real sad bit. What does that have to do with zombies? 
Oh, it's just adding some paranoia, paranormal into the. Mm. Uh, oh, the, I the, see. The it was Western sort of just a bit, general yeah. paranormal. Was there yeah, Grays yeah. in there too? Ross, uh, who? Ross, Roswell Grays. No, they didn't go into that. There mm. wasn't even any jackalope, unfortunately. Mm. So, uh, but back to my point. Uh, the uh, the rules that they set up, I liked. Like you leave the house and whatever reason you're on planet Arrakis. You know, I think I think, I think they. I think they weirdly enough they sort of uh, imply that it might be Saturn, which doesn't make any oh, sense. Doesn't make any sense at all. Yeah, it looked it looked like Dune. I mean, that's what it had like complete yeah. with sandworms. The, the spice melange. Yeah, the spice melange. Except for the the sandworms are these weird barracuda looking fuckers that mm-hmm. uh, like are inside of a sock puppet or some shit. It mm-hmm. was it was kind of crazy. So I, I liked that bit. Um, I liked uh, the reason that there are ghosts. Uh, is that <clears throat> you're basically they're waiting to be processed, so it has nothing to do with sort of these. Um, what's the typical? What's the typical bit that they they still have some work on left on Earth left to do? That's why their spirits haven't moved on. Are you sure, that's something? the reasoning in the film. I, I I remember there was a stipulation that they had to haunt their house for 115 years, but was it was it because of the there was a backlog of getting to the afterlife was that the well that was the whole gimmick that was the whole uh bit right because like mm, there's the I scene don't remember end. that reasoning for it well, was the scene they... at the end with like beetlejuice and he just steals the uh you know the headhunters number you know it's like everybody's stuck there forever it takes forever well, to i mean get i think it was the the it was the, that was just to get to see your caseworker it took a long time Oh, okay. All right. Well, that was. I mean, that's a great impression. idea, and I, maybe that is the case, but I, I didn't see that explicitly. Why are ghosts haunting houses? Well, they're stuck there. It's like a big waiting room because uh, shit's backed up. I mean, that I, make, that I, I makes sense. That... I just don't know if this film used that. Oh, there you go, well, man. You my... got a free hand for your next book. Well, that was my. That was my. Uh, what was the right? Uh, right. What's the right word? My feel mm-hmm. for why they had to haunt their house. Yeah. No. No. I mean, that's, that's certain, that was certainly would be a good idea. So uh, those two things, I thought they were nice mechanisms for explaining a little bit of exposition that was uh, quirky and well done. Uh, but that's so, not, But in the end, that's not what the movie's really about, all the particulars about how this universe is put together. This movie's more of just a fun movie. With a oh, yeah, it's totally around. fun. Yeah, no, it's... Well, it's interesting, the idea of Beetlejuice is interesting, because I wouldn't have just... It's not like he's an archetype, Right. It's it's Oddly, it's a, yeah. What is he? Sort of like a bio exorcist. Use a bio. He's sort of a shuckster. Well, is that the right uh, term? It's uh, you know he's an always, opportunist. We're always very familiar with the term exorcist, right? Yeah. Well, what's an exorcist? It's to get a demon out of a living human being, but he's the opposite. He's he's a bio exorcist. He's mm-hmm. trying to get the the <clears throat> you know the biology, I guess, out of a house. Mm-hmm. So. It's a it's a, it's an odd term for uh, a haunting uh, agent, you know, somebody who's haunting a house, <clears throat> and he's like a freelancer. So, um, yeah, he just pops in from time to time. He puts ads in the uh, handbook, you know, to get unsuspecting uh, ghosts to uh, invite him in, and then he can, uh, I don't know what his modus operandi exactly is, is to uh, liberate himself from his his. Station. I mean, yeah, what, what is his exactly motivation? Clear why, where he is. You know why he has to be called. It just seems like he likes to work. 
you know, one thing that was like one of the creative aspects of the film. I guess the most creativity sort of centers around him is when he's reading that newspaper when we first see him from behind. He's he's reading the obituaries, and they all say, oh, "We welcome so and so." After uh, oh yeah, I thought yeah, that was, that was sort of funny. And I really love where the uh, Adam and Barbara had to uh, dig up Beetlejuice, and they're actually digging through yeah. his model set, the little model set. <laughs> like there's some cardboard and some foam and uh, some like maybe paper mache or something. I that was, was a I thought that was great cool. little. That was a great little bit about this film that I, I thought added uh, what's some uh, depth to the film that or some creativity to the film that wasn't necessary, but how little bits were set in that fake town that he created mm-hmm. up in the attic, and I was like, well, you know, it wasn't. It, it was sort of ancillary. It didn't. It didn't necessarily have to be there for the film to progress. But it was there, and it added just unique little bits, like they would zoom into the town from time to time, like when they had to dig up Beetlejuice, and they were in this surreal miniature set. And, uh, you know, there was this scene where, like, he grabs a housefly from out underneath the fake turf mm-hmm. and eats it. It's just like, that's crazy. I mean, it's, just, it's really odd. Yeah, it's good uh, stuff. It's some nice visuals. I mean, it's great. It's sort of a great excuse to how they can... They give Beetlejuice all these powers, and how do you sort of put them in a box for the story purposes? And they, I think they sort of, the box that they had to put him in, sort of, they had to put him behind bars to allow the story to move on without him wreaking havoc. The model sets becomes that, that sort of prison that he goes in and out of. Yeah, and and they do too, you know. And he's like driving around, he's driving his little car around, and, uh, you know, they pick him up, and he, like, erupts and spikes and they drop him Mm -hmm. it's just just crazy funny shit like that that didn't i don't even know where it came from other than some uh mushroom experience on tim burton's part or something it's like i got an idea build a little miniature town of the town (laughs) and then that's where beetlejuice will live you know it's almost like philip k dick like it's kind of crazy it's a great idea, and it works really well, and it's visually a lot of fun, especially with some of the the composite shots that were practically composed. Yeah, really. everything was practically done, obviously, in this and, film. And the uh, stop motion I thought it was, was a lot nice. of fun, yeah. And uh, like I mean, even the opening scene of the movie, uh, they pan over the city, and then it turns into a pan over the model. Yeah, it fades I mean, into the, uh, I, the when model. I first, when I first watched it this time, I when was that fade? And there's a pretty clear spot where it does a fade. But if you're not really looking for it, you'll miss it. Uh, I think I was cognizant of that fact and paid a little bit of close attention. But, Mm -hmm. yeah, there's some sort of tilt shifting of the town, and then it sort of, uh, yeah, then it kind of zooms in on um, their house, I think, at one point. Uh, It's when they're going up the drive to their house, it transitions over. It's just just a fade from one shot to the other, but uh, the model's made to have the same general contours of the actual town. Yeah. So, yeah, that, just the creativity was, I, I always glom onto that when I'm watching a film like this. I'm like, God, how did, this, how did somebody come up with this shit? And how, how did somebody sit down and put pen to paper and start originating this, 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 this kind of craziness? I wonder, I, mean, I wonder what other Burton films we should do. Should we do oh, some of them aren't hands? so good. Some of them aren't that good. That's the problem with Tim Burton. He's sort of hot and cold a lot. More cold lately than hot. 
Um, well, I mean, a lot, people, a lot of people just don't like Burton. And I, don't, I don't know. It's weird. The two movies, I mean, I've seen a fair number of his movies. I mean, I love Ed Wood. Uh, Ed Wood's know. a solid film. That and, is uh, that is a really good movie. I would like to do that sometime. I liked I liked his remake of Alice in Wonderland. I thought it was pretty good. Oh, a I lot, thought that was a lot shit. Of, a lot of people oh. hated it for some reason. Well, it just it didn't. It was it, the story was confusing and contrived and a blend of the actual book, and it just didn't make a whole lot of sense. I don't That's really have much problem. of a memory of Alice in Wonderland, so I don't think it was. I don't think I had any sort of loyalty to any sort of stories. I thought the visuals were, were pretty nice, uh, and uh, I, uh, I I really liked Sweeney Todd, the musical he did. Actually, Sweeney Todd was decent. I thought I that was like Sweeney Todd. I really loved his remake of Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. I didn't like it, not at all. I, was uh, a big I, fan. I, I I I was totally I'm totally crazy for. Um, Johnny Depp's performance. I thought that How was can you like awesome. that over the Gene Wilder? I think it's version. much better than the Gene Wilder no, performance. You're, you're, you're Tons high. better. We might want to so do a compare, compare and contrast of those two, but no. I think Gene Wilder's performance is fine. It's but it's sort of standard Gene Wilder. Johnny Depp's performance was, I think, a really it, brilliant creation. This is the end of the podcast, ladies and gentlemen. Mark and I cannot get past our disagreement on Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. <laughs> I, there's no fucking way. There's so much mania and uh, disturbia going on in the Gene Wilder version that it just makes it just beautifully demonic. I, I, I really, I mean, I sort of feel like I'd like to compare him because I find Burton, well, just uh, Willy Wonka to be very disturbing. Just pretend. Well, just pretend the Raoul Dahl book wasn't the basis for it. Just kind of scrap. I know everybody likes to go. Oh, this is more true to the book. Just, just forget about that. Just. Chuck it. Oh, that's not. I'm not bringing that to the table. But. Really? See, a no, lot of I mean, I read were. the book, but I don't. I don't recall the specifics of it. No, I'm not. I'm not. That's not really an issue. And be quite honest with you, it's been a long time since I've seen the original film. Well, Gene Wilder is so crazy, but he's menacing on top of it, and that's just. I don't know. It, it has. Uh, and well, and I, I saw it as, as as a kid too, so things stick with you. A little well, bit let me know when you're ready for a two for podcast, and we'll do both of them. Oh like my contrast. god, that might be hardcore, man! I'm doing a remake, and we we haven't done a remake podcast yet, so that'll be interesting. Uh, anyway, so yeah, he did that, and I one well, nightmare before Christmas, of course, and then the Batman films. Yeah, um, but yeah, it's, it's hit or miss. Uh, so yeah, the, I, but. The, I, I, it's it's interesting. Um, I think people's opinions vary quite a bit on on his, the movies as well. But this one was I, I hadn't seen it in years. But this one was truly enjoyable. Like, yeah, I was, it was actually it was a like, fun really movie. Yeah. really enjoying every scene and like the characters were great and uh, you know a little bit of the eighties uh, contrast. I, I just loved the depiction. I mean, it was authentic because it was the eighties, but of eighties high art. I don't know, like, when when the art was shitty in the 80s, it was really shitty. Like, I keep thinking of uh, Nagel, I think, is, like, one of the... And Keith Herring are, like, the... Seems like the the, the big sort is of... Keith Herring the guy that wrote, draw stripes all over everything? Yeah, yeah, he drew those, um, I don't know, those really uh, uh, iconic sort of figures that danced yeah. a lot. And, like, with little uh, movement lines coming out of them. Yeah, yeah, and uh, there's some other ones, but um, there's a great scene in Wall Street, the original Wall Street, mm-hmm. where uh, Daryl Hannah, 
uh, who is uh, Bud, uh, played by Charlie Sheen's uh, girlfriend. She's, I forget, she's like a, in the art scene, like a gallery curator. I forget what her deal is. And she decorates his, his, his high-end apartment in just the shittiest 80s fucking high art that you, it's just like, you realize how fucking awful a lot of the stuff in the 80s was. And it never gets, like, less nostalgic, you know, or more nostalgic. Like, nostalgia usually tends to um, forgive the sins of the past a little bit when it comes to uh, uh, zeitgeist and eras. But the 80s is just fucking unforgivable shit in that decade, you know, especially the art. And so watching this, I was watching him redecorate that, you know, Connecticut farmhouse with all her shitty art. And... uh just, it just cracked me up, and the inside of the house just looks so awful. It was like, how about um, that spray-on like faux uh, granite? Uh, oh paint yeah, they put on all the woodwork, <laughs> on the doors, and everything had that shit on it. I was looking know? for a restaurant today uh, up in Everett, and I was I couldn't quite remember where it was. So I was driving through a couple of uh, like sort of shitty, uh, you know. Uh, malls you know just the malls not the indoor malls but the outdoor malls were just a parking lot with a bunch of stores around it and there's one i went to where some somebody whoever designed this and i have i got it's got to be designed like maybe in the early 90s they they basically covered all this the whole building with corrugated steel and so when you're driving that seems very there, 80s when, I know, 80s. when you drive through there there's all these horizontal lines you know, going this way and that on every every one of these square buildings, and then they people put their store signs. They mount them on that corrugated steel. It just, uh, it, I mean, it, it just seems like a, give you a seizure if you had to spend. Yeah, time there. it's sort of uh, like shanty town chic or something. <laughs> it, did, it did look like it looked like, had a little of a shanty town look to it. Yeah, I don't know the eighties. Yeah, they had a, there was a thing with corrugated aluminum and corrugated metal in, in the eighties for. Um, you know, I, I just have these like archetypes either from movies or whatever of eighties dance clubs. And being just totally saturated with corrugated aluminum and brick walls and then like uh yellow and black kind of caution hash everywhere and shitty pastel lights and uh you know, like something out of Miami Vice or some shit. I just uh and it never gets any better. I was like, why? Stuff usually 20 years on gets sort of a, you know, that wasn't that bad or it influenced this or, you know, I could see where that was going. But the fucking 80s, they just seemed to just kind of end in a fucking cul-de-sac of uh, creative deprivation when it came to high art and, mm. and design, you know, like well, all those 80s houses. There's still shitty stuff going on these days, man. I'm just, I just, let's talk, who do I hate? What massively popular art do I hate? And I was like thinking, you know, who I really hate Frank Gehry, that architect. Well, Frank Gehry. I mean, that's yeah, he's kind of eighties. I look at the EMP, and it kind of looks like a fucking eighties sort of idea. <laughs> you know, now that you mention it, oh I my can god! See it. I mean, I guess a couple of his buildings are sort of interesting. Uh, his more the conventional most, buildings mostly are, are pretty terrible. Are more interesting, but um, like I saw one of his buildings in uh, at MIT, mm-hmm. uh, and it was pretty cool. I mean, it's a much more conventional building than 
like the EMP or the Guggenheim or whatever. I think it's the EMP are. that really gets me mad. Cause that's such well, a the problem with the EMP is they hired that guy. Uh, Paul Allen hired him to design the building, and he hates rock and roll. Okay, so why would you have a dude, an architect, who adamantly despises the genre of music that you're trying to pay homage to? You know, so and and they have a few coffee table books in there of like his his drawings of his original drawings of the EMP. Mm-hmm. And if you were whoever the people are that take architects' renderings and actually make buildings out of it. At the fucking worst job on the planet, because I was looking at those pictures and it just looks like squiggles. And he was, oh, I was trying to try to capture the sound waves, like rock and roll sound waves or something. And you're looking at his pictures, like it's my 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 toddler could fucking do this. Hold it. When he what, when he draws his crazy buildings, he doesn't gotta go back and then like calculate how he's structurally going to do. That. I think he's too famous of a motherfucker. He to just hires some guy. He hires some young. Just hires a bunch of like civil engineers and put a skeleton you know, underneath that motherfucker and make it stand so, up. <laughs> yeah, well, like the uh, uh, what is it? The uh, Sydney Opera House is uh, a building that was. I, I guess it's one. It's what do they call it? It's. Uh, freestanding or it um its shape is is uh, is uh, true to its its structure as opposed to another building like the emp which is yeah see, i guess that's the thing that always bugs me about gary it just looks like bullshit yeah I mean, it is bullshit, I, I'm moving, right? I, want, I want a building to not hide its structure it's a thing that it's meant to stand up against gravity and his it just seems like you no, build something out right. of steel beams and then you put a Fuck a bunch of sheets of metal and glass over top of it. That's kind of what he who did. Who cares about that? Yeah, because the Sydney Opera House, and I don't know who designed that, but you would walk into it, and the inside would look exactly like the outside. Like you would go, yeah. oh, okay, yeah, no, this, it's this like, is it's it. It's like terrible fashion that's just a bunch of fucking bullshit fabric sticking out this way and that. Instead of like something that's actually <coughs> something you could wear that looks good. Yeah right. No, it's it's that way. I mean, I, I it's been sitting there so long, and 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 I, I like parts of the EMP, especially the sci-fi museum is really cool. Mm-hmm. That I've forgiven it its sins, you know. But uh, I think if they mowed down that building tomorrow, I I, I Seattle wouldn't be a uh, loss. They can mow. They can mow down the uh, uh, Chihuly exhibit at the same time. Oh, well, Mark's just going for the fucking yeah, that's a high art throat there. Yeah. You don't like Chihuly either? Ah, it's all right. So it's just a it's just a bunch of crap. It's just a bunch of it's just guys skeeting a bunch of glass out and calling it great. Uh, well, the problem with Chihuly is he doesn't actually do that shit. He just points at his uh, apprentices <laughs> and says, "Squirt some shit there and whirl that thing around." And yeah. you know, I mean, that's the, the problem now is, is he just he's, he's so famous that you know he just and he you know a lot of his exhibits are just tons of that fucking glass. So it's not like he's blowing it all himself you know <laughs> uh, literally and figuratively i guess on that one so yeah well i mean i don't know it's it's gimmicky a lot of arts that way yeah it, the I medium, guess to a certain extent it's sort that. of the medium the medium over the uh uh the message it seems a lot of art like people find a particular medium that hasn't been done before or is evocative and then they kind of hump it into the ground you know uh, and that's kind of, I think, it's happened to Julie. A lot of his stuff is just fucking repetitive and the same and mm-hmm. all that kind of crap. So, anyway, I, I do like the scene in Beetlejuice when the movers come in and drop 
uh, drop, uh, um, uh, what is it? Delia's art on the oh, fucking coffee that table. One, that one little piece of art that's It's a sculpture and he just fucking dumps. <laughs> yeah. I do like those working guys. Those working stiffs. Those guys crack me up. All right, man. Well, we're getting up on the hour. I should probably hit the review. Roger Ebert reviewed Beetlejuice on March 30th of 1988, giving it a big two stars out of four. Um, Let's just get down to it. He starts off um, gushing over the first part of the movie for some He likes the homey folksiness of of the He says, Beetlejuice gets off to a start that's so charming it never lives it down. The movie is all anti-climax once we realize what's... I realize it's going to be about gimmicks, not characters. That's his that's his opening paragraph right there. Um, he calls the opening minutes of the film enchanted. And he says, saying it's hard to describe what makes the opening so special. This is all the all the incredible tiny bit of the film up to the death scene. Or it's just some young couple in love that may be having trouble conceiving a child living sort of a dream life in a small town. I don't know. It's got Ebert all wet for some reason. That's fucking uh, weird, man. He says the movie is bathed in a foolish charm. And fool them I am. I expected that note to be carried all the way through the film. But it was not to be. So it's a big <laughs> letdown once uh, the uh, the actual... Uh, it's like... I mean, does he, does he want a film with no conflict? As soon as, the conf- know. D- as soon as the conflict starts, he starts getting all... What did he? Up. What did he want? Did he want just like, hey, I want to keep going on with these characters, and let's forget that they die, and maybe we can have a, you know, a plot where they, yeah, deal with their conception issues, and you know, there's sort of a uh, a change of heart. Half. I mean, does he want a different movie? Was he just not wanting to watch Beetlejuice? Well, anyways, once the conflict gets set in, and he, you know, he spends a paragraph summing it up with uh, them dying and. The New Yorkers coming in and wreaking havoc. He says, that is all, I guess, a fairly clever idea. <laughs> Fucking A. The um, but the story, which seemed so original, I uh, don't understand why the first 10 minutes are so original, turns, oh, I mean, maybe he's talking about the clever idea, turns into a sitcom fueled by lots of special effects, weird sets and props. Well, that's true. Yeah. And he, but he says the inspiration is gone, which he... Which sort of dogged at first. So the inspiration he wasn't too impressed by uh, disappears. Um, let me see here. He says, uh, talking about the look of the film, that it might be described as cartoon surrealistic. Because it's a fine term. Yeah, okay. Uh, let's see here. Um, he says, to sum it up, it's also a shame that Baldwin and Davis, as the ghost, have to spend most of their time playing tricks on Jones and O'Hara. And winning the sympathy of their daughter, it would have been more. I, I would have been more interested if the screenplay had preserved their sweet romanticism and cut back on the slapstick. He was really hung up on that whole uh, romantic yeah. ideal of Alec Baldwin and Gina Davis's know. chemistry. Huh. I mean, they seem like a nice couple. <laughs> I guess, but man, he was really. I wanted more nice couple. But there was conflict in this movie. There was a story that was about that conflict. Surrealist and conflict. Had, it was involved the supernatural. And, you know, they might have been able to make this film without Beetlejuice. 
and could have called it something else like uh yeah you know, who knows what and like, uh, uh the sixth sense but with a nice happy happy married couple <laughs> and i guess instead. they could have they could have played up that and made it a little more schmaltzy maybe he would have liked that more i mean i don't know the, the movie is a bit of a hodgepodge i think you know with the title character not being in it that much but yeah. um know. you know I don't understand where Ebert's coming from on his this review. It's not a there's movie. a lot of, I mean, there's a lot of, um, I wouldn't, I mean, I wouldn't call Beetlejuice amazing, but there's a lot of really uh, amazing, I guess, concepts and ideas and imaginative uh, ways to tell stories that I forgive a ton of the other shit for, you know, because uh, Tim Burton made a stab at something with this. You know, horror comedy mixed in with surrealism and crazy inventiveness and uh, sort of uh, otherworldly situations that nobody had thought up previous to this. And for that, I could almost just sweep a bunch of the other shit under the rug. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. uh, it has so much. It's it's patchy. Uh, there's some parts in it that you know may may uh, have suffered uh, from lack of attention. But then there's other parts in it that you're like, oh, that's fucking amazing. You know, 17 minutes worth of uh, Beetlejuice is worth, you know, 73 minutes of not Beetlejuice. You know what I mean? There's 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 goods and bad. There's good and bad with this that uh, throwing the baby out with the bathwater like Ebert does is kind of ridiculous. Yeah, I'm not sure where he's coming from. He doesn't even mention the fun of the movie. Yeah, it's totally fun. This movie's mm-hmm. like, a, like going on a Disney ride, mm-hmm. you know? Uh, whatever. I don't know what he, 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 he always, sometimes he has a chip on his shoulder about movies. Like he, he wanted to see something else. And then instead he saw Beetlejuice and he was in the right headspace for it. Well, I think yeah. the problem with Ebert is he was sort of known for whipping these things out fast. This is one of the ones that maybe he could have set next to his desk, come back and rewritten it the next day. And it would have been a lot better. Yeah. Could have suffered from that. So, mm-hmm. uh, Anyway, uh, the the word Beetlejuice, Mister Hudson. Uh, I mean, other than the he was named after the star Beetlejuice, which is named after what? Uh, the armpit of the giant. That's oh, what it means. Beetlejuice and, means and armpit it, of a giant. Armpit in in I think uh, a version of Arabic uh, long ago. Yeah, oh. it means armpit because it's Orion's armpit. Yeah. Oh, okay. So that's what real juice means. It's like a it's a weird anglicization of an Arabic name. Well, it's weird bit. because I was watching this and there's the the correct spelling in mm-hmm. uh the flyer, but then the name of the movie is is the literal Beetlejuice. Yeah, uh, I mean Beetlejuice is credited. This character is spelled like the star Beetlejuice. Yeah, but the title of the movie is Beetlejuice. Is Beetle like he he does the uh what is it? The uh, the, the charades. Um, charades, and that's where he does like you know the bug and the the juice bit and gets mm-hmm. gets uh, gets Winona Ryder to say Beetlejuice, um, but it's not how like it's it's funny if it was just was Beetlejuice, why why revert to the uh, the name of the star? You know, it's kind of funny. Yeah, I think As, they were having uh, fun with that. Yeah, yeah. I, I just a side note. I was looking at the um, these relative sizes of Beetlejuice compared to our star and our planets mm-hmm. it is fucking ridiculously big. 
Yeah, Beelzebub is this, what a red giant. Yeah, it's like a super red giant, but it it makes it makes our sun like the Earth to our sun is more or less the same ratio as our sun is to Beetlejuice. I mean, Beetlejuice is fucking enormous. Anyway, it blew my yeah. mind. Yeah, I wonder what the density on some of those stars are pretty low dense. Yeah, not that dense, not yeah. that dense. But uh, yeah, it's strangely one of the only stars I I know off the top and know where it's at. Like uh, I know the North Star, mm-hmm. I know Betelgeuse, and I think that's about all I know. I'm sure you can find Sirius. That's a pretty standard one to find. Where's Sirius? Where's it's that off, at? Off the side of uh, of uh, Orion, right? It's very bright. Orion's the giant constellation. Everybody is is pretty. We well, see to those three lines in a row. Those three oh, stars in a row okay. making up the belt right. of Orion and. Cirrus is off to the side of that. It's one of the brighter stars in the sky. Okay. Like the second or brightest or something. Pointing his bow at the Pleiades, which are the seven or so stars that are kind of in this gaseous cloud. They're Mm -hmm. all like really close to each other. Mm -hmm. And there's all kinds of stories, I guess, myths about Orion and and the Pleiades. And uh, one thing I learned recently, Pleiades in Japanese, Mr. Hudson. Mitsubishi. Wrong. Subaru. Oh, it's Subaru. That's right. Subaru. And if you look at a Subaru, the little it's symbol the is the Pleiades. And I, the I six of them. T- took me owning a fucking Subaru right, for Subaru. like five years to figure that one out. I was thinking Mitsubishi for some reason. Mitsubishi. <laughs> the Mitsubishi yeah. was at five diamonds. Yeah, it's yeah, five diamonds. or some shit on it. Subaru is the six sisters or something. Uh, yeah. Something like yeah, that. right. I think that's the, the Japanese myth of uh, that constellation. Uh, one other thing, uh, anecdotally, um, so Mark doesn't believe in ghosts. I wish. My, be my so mother, nice. my mother believes in ghosts. Really? And she well, has great. ghost I mean, stories. She believes in the afterlife. That'd be something. She has ghost stories. She, she's told them to me. They used to freak me the fuck out. When you were a kid, she believed not just an old age thing. Yeah. Well, and, and, uh, these hauntings, if you will, occurred roughly around the time I was born. And they occurred in my grandmother's house out in Port Angeles. Hmm. Uh, and my grandmother corroborates a few of these stories, or did back in the day. And it totally fucking like did my head in when I was like a seven-year-old hearing this shit. Wow. <clears throat> but apparently there was this little boy that would wander my grandmother's house. Um, and he wore uh, cords, like corduroy pants or jeans and my mother uh was staying with my grandmother when my dad was working on the ferry and i was just a newborn your dad worked for the ferry system he worked on the on the coho the 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 canadian boat that went to canada what do you do Uh, just i don't know he worked like he was like a shipmate or something okay one of one of those guys you see on the the ferries that you know sit there Uh on the vest and get cars off and shit oh interesting uh and anyway, so he was, he, you know, he would be overnight a few times because the boat would dock in Canada. Mm-hmm. And uh, it would be my mom and, and I think my 13-year-old uncle and my grandmother in this house by themselves. And uh, they would hear, um, they could hear somebody walking around with the corduroy swoosh. Mm-hmm. And my mom actually woke up once and swore that this little boy was sitting on her chest tapping her to get her to uh 
uh, wake up or mm-hmm. something. And she just like froze and then closed her eyes and screamed and then he disappeared. And um, same with my grandmother. My grandmother didn't have that experience, but she would see the little boy. And she thought it was my uncle, but she knew it was too un- young for my uncle. Plus, my uncle's kind of a fat kid. So anyway, it didn't jive. <laughs> and they would find me like in weird places as a newborn. Like my mom would sleep on the couch sometimes, and I would be on the ground. And then she would wake up and she'd find me like in the dining room. But I was, you know, just a few months old, so I wasn't crawling. And there would have been no way and all this kind of shit like that. You were naturally so. trying to get to the scotch, I think. I was. I was flipping around like a goddamn fish out of water, trying to roll over to the scotch cabinet too. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, anyway, but uh, that's it, man. That's my that's my ghost story. That's well, the, they well, they used I mean, to be. Uh, uh, they'll give you goose pimples whether you believe it or not. They used to be a lot more embellished when uh, when when I was a kid. Uh, mm-hmm. My parent, my mom would, you know, embellish the shit out of them, and mm-hmm. my grandma would corroborate it. That was the other fucked up thing, you know. So. Well, I don't know. And, um, yeah, I mean, uh, I don't know what to say, man. My uncle told me about getting abducted by aliens. What? That, was, that, was, that flipped that flipped my shit there for a while. When that when did that happen? Oh, um, when I was a kid, probably about the same age as you. Uh, my mother's eldest sister is uh, I don't know. She's a bit of an odd bird, and uh, she went through a number of husbands. And one of her husbands that she was married to, I think it was her third. For a long time, he was. Yeah, he wasn't. I can't, I can't from. I can't. I can't. I can't remember which one it was, but he thought he was abducted by aliens, and he'd tell us. Wow. About it. My, my dad chewed him out one time after he was telling us. Go be telling my he, boys he, about he, he your. Us tell that. I thought that was sort of interesting interaction. Yeah, your dad was kind of a straight up guy. He didn't want you kids uh, straying too far from the, uh, yeah, the gospel, yeah, the, did he? Yeah, I mean, um, I don't what know. Just complain about about. Some uncle telling you that he was abducted by an alien. I have no idea. I mean, I just, uh, I guess he didn't want us. It was just, the guy was, I don't know, he wasn't. Obviously, he was wasn't all of, there. He was a little bit of a, it's weird. He was all, he was a successful businessman, but he wasn't all there, you know? You know Isn't that weird? It's weird you can be successful in some things in life and still think he Yeah, how is that guy. possible? I keep thinking I'm a pretty level-headed dude. I don't think it, uh, I don't think acumen toward making money necessarily correlates with any other aspect of personality paranoid insanity they're they're sort of separate things so what was his story pretty uh uh pretty stock and trade i mean was it was it i mean from what i remember i mean i only heard it a couple times the grays uh grabbed me out of my pickup truck a lot of stuff talked about his anus a lot what no i'm joking no really well, no wonder your dad was going to get him to shut up. <laughs> Stop talking about the aliens in your butthole. It was, uh, yeah, it was just like that scene from uh, Pink Flamingos. <laughs> yeah, that's what my dad had a problem with. <laughs> Man, your dad was onto something there. <laughs> Tell that crazy fucker to shut up. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Yeah, no, unfortunately, I never got into the alien business. Mm. I pondered, but uh, <clears throat> I, never, uh, I never really... Uh, uh, the only alien story that really freaked me out was uh, the Mothman in West Virginia, mm. which is a uh, was made into a fairly terrible movie called mm. The Mothman Chronicles, starring uh, oh yeah the Richard Gere and that's Gear, yeah somebody else, some redheaded woman, I forget her name, but uh, yeah no Mothman. That's I I read some uh, account of it when I was a child in this paperback book that I don't know if I can find anymore called. Uh, Strange cre- creatures from time and space, and uh, it had um, 
I don't know, like 10, 10 little bits about actual accounts of alien creatures. And the Mothman was in there, and that totally terrified me. Um, it had your typical like alien stuff. And then the other one that really freaked me out was the Grinning Man. And the Grinning Man uh, was sort of, I, 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 in my head, as a kid reading it, I uh, sort of pictured, uh, what's, the, what's the meme online now? Thin Man, or what's that? There was oh. a video game called, like, the, I think, was it the Thin Slender Man? Slender Man. Yeah. yeah. And so, uh, but Slender Man doesn't have, like, a face. Um, and the grinning, but the way they describe the grinning. Is it grinning man, or smiling? Grinning. Grinning? Like, grinning. Like, shit-eating shit grin type grinning. Um, but he would never fuck with people. He would just stand, like, under streetlights mm-hmm. and ominously... Uh, stare at people uh, or behind chain link and you could never get that close to him to actually like figure out who he was but he was uh, supernaturally tall and thin Mm -hmm. and he wore black and sometimes he had a hat sometimes he didn't and so when I saw that slender man meme it kind of freaked me out a little bit it's like that's fucking grinning man we should go uh, you should go into uh, Google Images and type in Grinning Man. I should. I think I'll do that right after this. But yeah. <laughs> now it's like wrapped up in something. Some crazy girl killed somebody and said Slender Man made her do it or some shit like that. Mm. So mm. you know. Or Marilyn Manson. I can't I can't remember what who who who's responsible for teenage uh, murder these days in the media. But Jerry Falwell I no, Pat Robertson will suss him out though. I'm sure. Get down to the bottom of the, that the gays are responsible for that. <laughs> That's right. All right, man. Uh, next week, we're going to be doing the uh, oh John Borman classic. Uh, the the silly but interesting and thought-provoking Zardoz uh, from 1974. Is this, the, film. is this the third Borman film we've done? Yeah, I think so. We did... Yeah, uh, wow. Deliverance and, Exor- and Exorcist. No, that was Friedkin. Excalibur. Uh, Excalibur, right? Mm-hmm. So this will be the third, and uh, I think it's all worth it just to see Sean Connor in that getup. So <laughs> that is a pretty goofy getup. It's a pretty. I, I think I people saw see that most or part of it some time ago. People see that picture of Sean Connery and they just bust out laughing almost immediately. So can't really blame them. It's a pretty goofy outfit. It's pretty fucking goofy, but it works. Totally works. <laughs> anyway, so uh, next week we'll we'll be doing Zardoz, and until then. That is why I won't do two shows a night anymore, babe. I won't. I won't do.